So we are in our third uh, Sunday in the season of Advent uh, this morning. And one of the things that I appreciate so much about Advent and, and that we talked about when we began the season of Advent is this, the beauty of kind of the liturgical calendar in, in the church. And it's not something we hear a ton about in, in this space, but, but it, the beauty of the liturgical calendar, and, and that is that the, the life of the church and the calendar of the church is, is organized in a way that highlights for us the really critical and important um, seasons in the church. And all of these are connected to our faith. Uh, and obviously, in the season of Advent, it gives us the opportunity to reflect, uh, yes, to remember that Christ has come, uh, but also to look ahead with great expectation and hope, uh, anticipation that Christ will return. If God was able, and God is able, if God uh, made good on the promise for Christ to come, made good on the promise to send the Messiah to be God with us, which we're going to talk about this morning, um, and God also promised that, that Christ uh, will return and, and to establish his kingdom on this earth forever, that in Revelation 21, he will make all things new, that everything that is broken and all of the hurting and, and as um, Sally Lloyd-Jones writes in the Jesus Storybook Bible, everything sad will come untrue. Uh, we, we look forward with great expectation and hope and anticipation for that day to come. And we don't know when that day will be. Scripture is very clear that there's only one who has knowledge of that, and it is God. It is not us. Um, but it begs the question, are we living like we believe that it's going to happen? One, are we living like we believe it could happen in our lifetime? Two, because if we, if we live that way, or if we believe that we could see that happen, then it changes, it ought to change the way that we live in this world, right? What does it mean that Christ has come? What does it mean that God is with us? What does it mean that Christ will come again? How ought that to affect and and uh, transform the way that we live in this world as people who claim um, to be uh, followers of Jesus. And now, I recognize that there may be some of you here who would say, yeah, hold on, I, I don't consider myself a follower of Jesus. I'm not really sure about this whole church thing. First of all, welcome. Like, I celebrate the fact that you are here with us this morning and also celebrate the fact that um, and acknowledge that God is able to meet us right where we are on the journey. Um, and so just the fact that you would choose, if, that, if, if you fall into that category, if you just, the fact that you would choose to come and be with us, that is incredibly, incredibly significant. Um, and and we, we celebrate that, acknowledge um, what that must, what that may take uh, for some. But one of the things that, that, one of the gifts of Advent, because this is where we are in the liturgical calendar, is that it, it, it calls us back, right? It forces us to remember. And, and gosh, we need that, don't we? It is so easy for us to get sidetracked and, and to get kind of pulled off track and begin to worry about things that, that I mean, really, when, when we kind of step back and look big picture, we realize, yes, this is a weighty, and yes, this thing that I'm worried about or concerned about, um, it, it, I, I can feel that in my life, but in the grand scheme of things, is it worth the amount of worry that I'm giving it, right? And so what a gift to have something like the season of Advent to, to draw us back. Now, with that being said, um, the, the, the beauty and the gift that, that is Advent, um, we, we have to be careful that it doesn't become so familiar to us that we just ignore or, or just bypass the significance of what it is for us as the church and, and for any of us um, as, as people seeking to live in this world. And, and I'm afraid that, that there's the possibility, the very real possibility that happens. If we just become so accustomed to this, it becomes so familiar to us that we, we begin to 
kind of miss the, the beauty of it or even just miss the, the road signs, if you will. Uh, my, my, my younger brother, Adam, and I, for the past several years, have, have uh, gone into the, like the far reaches of Ash County to retrieve um, some Christmas trees that are, that are generously given to, to us as a staff in this church. And we're so grateful um, for, the, for the, the Robbins family um, who, who does this for us. But, but Adam and I go, and we always wait to go at night so we're out of the way of the guys who actually get you know, paid to like, do this and be you know, at the, the tree lot and, and sorting and loading. And we just don't want to be in the way when we pull up with our tiny little trailer um, because these guys are like loading huge trailers with lots of trees. So we go under the cover of darkness. That makes it sound like we're stealing them. We go, we're not. We have permission. We go when it is dark. But every year we, we question ourselves as to where, like, are we, are we going the right direction? I mean, the first part's easy. You go to, you know, Pass West Jefferson, go to Jefferson, and then take a left. And then, then it starts to be get, get fuzzy. Now, it could have something to do with the fact that we always reward ourselves by stopping at the Bojangles and getting a couple of Bowberry biscuits on the way. And, and so, the, like, the sugar starts to kick in after we've made the left turn. And, and then it just becomes fuzzy. So we start to look for these markers, but then we begin to question ourselves, is that really... The, is this really the road? Like, did I remember correctly that after we see that building or that church that we're supposed to turn or, or that split rail fence, there's a lot of split rail fences between here and there. So um, it starts to get, it, we, we just lose sight of like, do these markers mean for us what, what we want, what we need for them to mean? Um, and God is so faithful. We always make it there and then make it back in one piece. But um, not without sometimes having to make some U-turns because we just don't recognize the signs along the way. In the season of Advent, are we missing the signs that are given to us along the way for the significance of what this means for us and what this means for the world in which we live, most importantly? And so this morning, we are going to look at perhaps one of the, the, the deepest and most profound truths of what the season of Advent means for us as the church, means for us as individuals, and means for us as the world. Uh, we'll be in Matthew's gospel this morning, Matthew chapter 1. Uh, and if you would, in honor of the reading of God's word, please stand. We're just going to focus on a couple of verses, but I do want to read just this passage in its entirety because uh, it, it just... This is, you know, next week for Christmas Eve, we'll be in, in Luke's gospel. So it's important for us to hear Matthew's account here. We're Matthew chapter 1, uh, beginning with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. 
and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. This is the prophet Isaiah that Matthew is quoting. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Two names that we see here. Uh, that Jesus is referred to. One is the name that he is given, uh, Jesus, which we'll talk about in a moment. And then the other is Emmanuel, uh, God with us. And that, again, is from the the prophet Isaiah. God with us. What does it mean that God is with us. As I was preparing for this, there was a, I spent some time reading uh, Charles Spurgeon and his thoughts on, on this truth, this, this God with us. And, and he says that as you read this, this passage, it, it's helpful to, to kind of divide it and to think of it as, as two separate yet incredibly important truths. One is God, and the other is God with us. Why is it that, that God would choose, being who God is, God would choose to come and dwell among us? And, and I believe that this is one of the, the, the ways that, one of the places that perhaps we begin to miss the significance of the signs along the way. Because it's it's not often, I think, that we sit and contemplate this deep truth of Emmanuel. God with us. Now, now for us, we, we, we understand and, and hopefully are beginning to understand, have, have begun to understand in your life. And obviously, this is a truth you can continue to unpack the more that you walk with Jesus. What does it mean that, that Jesus, that God came to put on flesh in the person of Jesus? What does it mean that the Father sent the Son? Uh, what does it mean for us that, that Jesus experienced what he experienced, which we'll, we'll talk about in, in a moment. But, but like hopefully, you've begun to appreciate the beauty in that and, and what that means for us in, in our our hope, but this the the weight of the truth that the God of creation chose to come and dwell among His creation in the way that God did, I think carries for us something that is incredibly significant and one of those signs that we ought not to so quickly pass over. And and one of the things that we see um, in in Joseph and the way that that Matthew records this and and kind of Joseph's response to finding out that that Mary was to be with child, remember that they weren't married yet and and what they they were betrothed, but but this, you know, so we would say, well, it's like engagement, but it's not, it's like a, a it's a little bit weightier than, than engagement. Like there's, there's almost some, some kind of legal ramifications in terms of the, the law of God or the law of Moses, if you want to think of it that way. So um, this wasn't just, hey, I really like you. I love you. We're going to get married. Let's plan a wedding. Uh, we are engaged. We've taken that next step in our relationship ahead of the step in which uh, we get married. The betrothal was, or this promise to, to be wed together was uh, something that was a little bit 
um, it just has carried some deeper significance than the way that we might understand engagement. And, and there are at least some of you in here who are engaged, and I'm not diminishing your engagement at all. Like, that's weighty, that's important, but, but even, even weightier is the understanding of, of betrothal. Uh, and so Joseph finds out that Mary is is pregnant, and he knows enough to know. Well, there, I think there's only that, one way that happens, and um, and he knows that he hasn't been with her. And so um, already we begin to see kind of this wrestling with I know what the law says, like I know what is just, and and what is just is for me to divorce her or to separate from Mary. Um, but then then we also see that Joseph says, but I want to. I'm going to do it quietly. Like, I don't want to make a big deal out of this. I mean, what she deserves is public condemnation, but, but Joseph says, I, I'm not going to go that route. Instead, I'm going to, I'm going to show mercy. So we are already we see, like, even before the announcement of the arrival of Jesus, we see that begin to be displayed in the life of this man who will be, for all practical purposes, his earthly father. I know that this is wrong, and I know what the law says, justice should be done. But I also care deeply. In fact, I love this, this woman who, who I am to be married to, and so I don't want to humiliate her. And so I'm going to choose to show mercy also. And so we, we begin to see, before the arrival of Jesus, the, the characteristics of, of who Jesus is. Right, and, and Matthew, we know, begins his gospel and, and the arrival, the birth of Jesus in a way that is very different um, than Luke's, which we'll read uh, next Sunday evening. He begins with a genealogy, and that is to show us, the, again, the significance of the promise that God made, beginning with Abraham and going on through David. And, and Joseph is referred to here um, by the angel in, in his dream, Joseph, son of David. Hey, God made a promise that, that to Abraham and, and through David, even um, with David's rebellion and, and David's, you know, sinfulness, that God is not deterred by, um, by that. God is still able to accomplish what God means to accomplish. And, and so already we see this, the characteristics of Jesus begin to be displayed in this man who, who, who will teach him carpentry and who will, will raise him on this earth until the time that he is ready to, to leave the home and enter his ministry. And, and it's, so when we consider like God with us, we have just beginning glimpses of the significance of that in, in the person of Joseph. All right, so, so the angel comes, Joseph has made this decision justice, and yet there's also going to be mercy. And, and he, he's made this decision, and he's, he's not carried that out yet. But the angel comes to him and, and then shares with him, hey, actually, you, you're going you're gonna to keep and take Mary as your wife because there's something bigger going on here, and you get to be a part of it. And, and so he, he explained, the, the angel explains to Joseph, this is of God. She is with child, yes, but it's because of something that God is doing. God is making good on a promise to send a Savior. But then the angel, uh, and, and so the way that, that Matthew writes this, there's some question. Is it, is, it, is it the angel who says this took place to fulfill? Nope. 
If, if you read the way that it's written, I'm, I'm reading from the NIV. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from his sins, period, uh, quotation marks. So the, these are the words of the angel as it was passed along to Matthew. Matthew, then, is reflecting on this. Uh, and remember that Matthew is kind of thrust in his gospel, like the thing that Matthew wants to accomplish in the, in the way that he wrote his gospel, and the reason that he wrote his gospel was to describe and help people understand that the coming of Christ meant something about the kingdom of God on this earth. And that's why his gospel reads a little bit differently than, than the rest of the gospels. His specific focus is the kingdom and, and the presence of the king in that kingdom. So in reflection, he, he realizes, wait, all of this took place. There's something bigger going on here. Uh, all of this took place to fulfill what was told through the prophet Isaiah in, in Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 7. If we wanted to, to go and, and look at that, you can um, turn there if you like or just make a note and go back and, and, and read this um, later. So this would be uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. I'll read back, step back at verse 13. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. A name for Jesus God who put on flesh and came to dwell among us, a name for Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And what's interesting is that we don't then later hear the disciples calling Jesus Emmanuel, right? They call him by his name Jesus or they call him Rabbi. Some people in the New Testament and the Gospels, are refer, they refer to him as son of David, but we don't hear them calling Jesus by the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel is not his name. His name is Jesus, um, which, is, uh, which is derived from, from Joshua or Yeshua, which means God saves or God rescues. Right? That's the name that the angel said you're going to give him the name Jesus uh, because it's going to describe what he will do or what he is here for, for rescue, for redemption, for salvation. But remember that he is God with us. That is who he is, God in the flesh. And the reason that they don't go around calling Jesus God with us is because what, what, what they're experiencing is God with us. Now, uh, again, Spurgeon was so helpful in this. As, as I thought about this and, and my mind began to melt trying to wrap it around, like the significance and the weight of God with us and what that means for us, that the God who breathed everything into creation, uh, the God who, who spoke uh, the stars into place, the God who, who brought uh, the land up out of the water, the God who separated day from night as we read about in the creation story, the God who, who brought living things forth, the God who filled uh, the waters with living creatures and creatures that would walk on the land, and, and the God who, who brought forth plants and, and fruit and vegetables and everything that we see, the God who accomplished all of that by the very speaking of a word, the God who, who brought us and created us out of nothing. The God who then walked in the garden in fellowship with us. That the God of, of everything would choose to come and dwell among us. This is a, a truth that is difficult for us to understand. And uh, 
Spurgeon says this about it. Going back to the way that I said you may divide the text. says, you may divide the text, if you please, into two portions, God and then God with us. We must dwell with equal, equal emphasis upon each word. Never let us for a moment hesitate as to the Godhead of our Lord Jesus Christ, for his deity is a fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith. It may be we shall never understand fully how God and man could unite in one person. For who can by searching find out God? These great mysteries of godliness, these deep things of God are beyond our measurement. And he says this, I love this. Our little skiff, that's like our our little water vessel. Our little skiff might be lost if we ventured so far out upon this vast, this infinite ocean as to lose sight of the shore of plainly revealed truth. But let it remain as a matter of faith that Jesus Christ, even he who lay in Bethlehem's manger and was carried in a woman's arms and lived a suffering life and died on a malefactor's cross was nevertheless God over all blessed forever, upholding all things by the word of his power. And so Spurgeon's, I believe, helpful instruction there is, I mean, yes, to consider what it means that God chose to come and dwell among us, that God chose to be with us. Yes, we should consider that. Yes, we should begin to try to wrap our minds because as we do, we begin to try to wrap our lives around this truth and what this means for us. But to be careful not to stray too far from the truth that is simply and beautifully revealed in the coming of Jesus. That yes, the God who is infinite somehow dwelt in flesh among us. But what we begin to see play out in the New Testament, what we begin to see play out in the lives of Jesus' followers, in the lives of his disciples, and those men who would go on to give their lives for the sake of the gospel, for who they understood Jesus to be, was not because they had spent countless hours trying to understand and make work in their minds what it means that God came to dwell in their midst. It doesn't mean they didn't think about it, but it's not because of their intellect. It's not because they could somehow make sense of this vast truth that God chose to come and dwell in their midst, that the promise that was given through Isaiah was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. It wasn't because they worked it out intellectually. It was because they experienced life with Jesus, that their lives were so transformed and that they were so caught up in that life that they were then willing ultimately to give their lives for the sake of what Jesus came to accomplish on this earth, and that is the salvation of souls, saving us from our sin. Because of what they experienced, the reality of God with us meaning. Not because they could work out intellectually how God came to dwell among us and be born into the world as a baby. We ought to think about it. We ought to consider it because it just draws us more deeply into the vastness of who God is. But it is, it is in the experience of what that means for us that our lives begin to be changed and transformed. So there is God and there's God with 
us in the person of Jesus. You are to give him the name Jesus, which means God saves or God rescues or God redeems. God with us where? Have you ever been a babe in someone's arms? All of you have. Have you ever found yourself in desperate need, literally in desperate need of the care of another? All of us have. So has Jesus. Have you ever been, for all the times that we've been brought up in a household, for all of the times that we have found ourselves living in in a culture, in a specific time, in a specific place, for all of the ways that we've even questioned the ways that that's being played out around us, Jesus has done that also. For all of the ways that we have felt misunderstood because of our faith for all of the ways that maybe maybe you've even experienced persecution. I don't know, but, but at the very least, maybe you've been misunderstood because of, of your faith, because of, of who you've given your life to. Jesus has also experienced that. For all of the ways that you have felt alone, isolated, in the wilderness, if you will, cut off from everyone else, it seems, and yet you're surrounded by people. Jesus has also experienced that. For all of the ways that you have been tempted, for all of the ways that the enemy has come to you and said, hey, choose this shortcut. It's going to satisfy you physically. Or choose, uh, cho- choose this path. It's going to be a path, um, the path of least resistance. It's going to be a lot easier to get to where you think you want to go if you choose this way. For all of the ways that we have had to bear up under the weight of temptation, Jesus has also experienced that. For all of the ways that our hearts have been broken over loss, the loss of people in our lives, Jesus has also experienced that. Jesus wept at the loss of his friend Lazarus, even though he knew how that was going to turn out. So God with us, yes, can have a, a vastness or, or a depth to it that is, seems impossible for us to begin to work out in our minds. But God with us, when we begin to open our hearts to experiencing what it means that Jesus put on flesh and came to walk among us, feeling the things that we feel, experiencing the things that we experience, was betrayed by one of his closest friends, was abandoned by, by the rest of his friends was misunderstood, was left alone, felt compassion on people when everyone else told him, don't waste your time with that person or with those people. Even for the ways that Jesus longed to be where the Father was because he felt like that was significant. For all of the ways maybe in your life that you have felt yourself drawn into the presence of God and you have people around you who don't understand it and who are trying to talk you out of it. Jesus has experienced those things as well. God with us. Here's the the beauty of of what that means for us. The author of Hebrews captures this in in Hebrews chapter 4. So God with us means that 
God experienced what we experienced. God felt in Jesus the frailty of human flesh, the reality of temptation, what it means to be abandoned, what it means to hurt, what it means to weep when we experience loss. But God with us also means our redemption and our salvation. Hebrews 4, 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus was like us in every way except for the fact that he was God. But Jesus, the man, was like us in every way except for the fact that he did not sin, that he was faithful. Thus, when he gave up his life on our behalf, proved to be enough to pay the penalty for our sin. Therefore, the author of Hebrews says, we approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we are approaching one who has felt everything that we feel, knowing that we are approaching one who who knows the weight that we carry that we feel like we cannot share with anyone else. We do so with confidence because he has walked where we walk. He has experienced what we experience and yet proved himself faithful that we might receive mercy when justice is required. I pray that you have felt in your own life, Emmanuel, God with us. That there have been moments when you, you know, it's, I can't deny the presence of God in, in this place or in this moment. Maybe it's in your scripture reading. Maybe it's in prayer. Maybe it's when we're together in worship. Maybe it's just in, in like just you're, you're out in this beautiful place that we get to call home. And there's a moment that you just feel God as near as your breath. But, but maybe there are ways that God is present with you and you're missing the signs. You don't see it. Our oldest had a, a simple uh, medical procedure on, um, I don't even know what day it was. I, it's Sunday. I know what today is. But it was sometime earlier this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday, yeah. And Pastor Ed um, texted me and said, hey, uh, where are you? I'm here and I want to come up and pray with you. And he he didn't have to do that. We had we had prayed for um, for for Gresham in our staff meeting the day before, and I knew that there were other people who who were praying. And yet he showed up. He came and stood with us. He was where we were, and he prayed. In that moment, God, with us. Friends, anytime there's someone who steps into what you are walking through or what you are dealing with and in doing so brings compassion and brings love and brings peace and points you to God. God with us.
we as the church, we as the people of God at our very best live and operate in this ministry of presence. Choosing to be present in the lives of people around us, exemplifying and making real the incarnation, making real to the world around us, Emmanuel, God with us, because we have experienced that in our own lives. As you go into this week, this final week in the season of Advent, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you to do two things. One, to to just go to the Lord and say, God, would you help me to see the ways that you have been and continue to be Emmanuel, God with me, present with me in my life? Because maybe I've missed it. Maybe it's in a moment, maybe it's in a word, maybe it's in a song, maybe it's in scripture, but God, maybe it's in a person that I just, at the moment, in the time, wasn't even aware that that was you with me. But then secondly, as you begin to realize and reflect on that in your own life, secondly, I want to challenge you to pray, God, help me to pay attention to the opportunities that you're giving me to be present with those around me who need to know that you are a God who is very much alive and who is present in this world, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. That in your own presence, in the lives of people, you may be a reflection of that vast truth. That we are loved by a God who is willing to put on flesh and walk among us. to experience what we experience and to give his life so that what we experience does not have the final say. Jesus, won't you come? Let's pray. What a humbling truth. Gracious God, that in the, in the birth of a baby, in the frailty of that little life, you humbled yourself in an unimaginable way and chose to be God with us. No longer content to exist merely in a pillar of fire or in a cloud by day, no longer merely to show yourself present in a burning bush or in the parting of a sea, no longer content merely to speak through a prophet. But God, because of your great love for us, you chose to enter this world to be God with us in the person of your son, Jesus. And, and I pray that you would, you, God, you would give us the ability to begin to comprehend the beauty of what that means for us. But perhaps even more than that, I pray that you would give us the faith to experience what that means for us. What it means, as Eugene Peterson says, that you put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. God, for all the ways that we've tried to keep you out, would you forgive us? Would you give us the faith to open our lives and our hearts to your presence with us? God, that you would be that you would come and make your home in us, that we then might be the reality of Emmanuel in the world around us, reminding people 
and being present with people who are hurting, bringing the peace and the hope that comes in knowing you and having experienced you into every encounter that we have around us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. Please stand. Let's worship together.